Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Annette Berger and our topic is The Body Remembers, Cellular Memory. Now, I'm very pleased to welcome Annette. We've just been chatting. We haven't met before until today. And she contacted Chai FM to say that while we were discussing other me- me- um, methods of counseling, she actually felt that we should also look at soma therapies. And we're looking at the cellular memory and how deeply buried and denied many of our choices are. And she practices craniosacral therapy, polarity therapy, and Reiki, and she does deep um, uh, Japanese facial massages, which sound wonderful. And I'm really so happy to have her today to actually talk about healing and healing through touch. Leo Boscaglio said, too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. I hope and I know we'll all be learning of different ways that we can turn our lives around and in so doing help other people turn theirs around. Welcome, Annette. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. What was it in particular that you wanted that you felt was missing from normal, you know, the the normal counseling, the talk therapy? Well, I I find that that a lovely, lovely program, and you did mention soma therapy, so I just felt it would be worthwhile to investigate soma therapy because touch is terribly important. And um, interest in in, uh, soma therapy actually arose at the beginning of the last century at the same time as psychotherapy started to to develop with um, Freud and Jung. And so it just, it was concomitant with that. And I felt it was just going to be interesting to look at that. And it certainly has been. And I've also, I have done many different courses with John Kehoe and Deepak Chopra and all, you know, all of those on, on top of my logotherapy work. And, um, I have always found that touch is so important. I remember as a young nurse having a, a patient who was very, very ill and his family were not living in, in the Johannesburg area and he knew he was, going to die soon and he asked me if I would sit with him a bit during the night and I said I would as soon as I was finished with the rest of the ward rounds and medicines and what have you there were only I was the only qualified person on duty that night and I went to go and sit with him and he was was slipping in and out of a coma at the time and all he wanted actually he put my his hand out to me and I held his hand, and immediately I felt his breathing begin to slow down, and he slipped very gently away. But that was all he was waiting for, was that human touch, I think. And 
I often think of that and it makes me cry. And already we're going to advert. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson. I'm back with my guest, Annette Berger. And there are messages coming through to say that the reception outside is much better. I'm so pleased. That means that uh, it's been sorted and we can all relax and enjoy hearing from one another. Annette, you know, you said something very funny to me a, a bit earlier, which made me laugh. And about nearer the tomb than the womb. And <laughs> I love that because I do feel that some people go into therapy at a later age. And, you know, in order to unpack whatever's gone on in 70 years can take another <laughs> 70 years sometimes. So touch, tell me how touch would help with that. Well, I think it's never too late to actually try and heal oneself. And as I said to you earlier, there are days that I think really I am nearer the, nearer the tomb than the womb. And there still <laughs> seems to be so much that I need to address, but it does seem to be get, getting better every day. The thing is that trauma from way back gets locked in our bodies. And sometimes we talk and talk and talk and talk, and it doesn't seem to resolve it. But if we can get some touch therapy, it seems to speed it up. And my first experience of that was when I hosted an introductory course of polarity therapy. Now, polarity therapy was my first experience of touch therapy. And polarity therapy was developed by an osteopath by the name of Randolph Stone at the beginning of the last century. And I think we were a group of about 30 people, and group energy is very, very powerful. And there were waterfalls of tears that were shed that day. What is polarity? How does it work, polarity well, therapy? the theory behind polarity therapy is that there are energy fields that go from north to south and south to north, and healing takes place at the center point, which is called the fulcrum, and you have to find that fulcrum, which brings about healing. And Dr. Stone practiced across the world, particularly in India, and a lot of his philosophy was based on Indian, Indian theory, Indian yoga, and he actually created a whole philosophy of health based primarily on Indian Veda and that type of thing. But it was really about holding feeling where the energy blocks were and finding where the fulcrum might be which would release healing and then after a couple of treatments he called what uh, he did what he called a, a an old uncle a bit of advice and he sent you on your way feeling really intact and on that weekend i was amazed to find how much people carried how much their posture showed about the, the suffering that people carried around with them. And Peter Levine, who was one of the pioneers of trauma, said that trauma is about broken connections, connection broken with the self, the body, the family, nature, spirit, and perpetuating the downward spiral of traumatic dislocation. How true. And healing trauma is restoring these dislocations. 
And through therapies like polarity therapy, craniosacral therapy, something as simple and non-invasive as Reiki can all do that Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. very, very gentle non-intervention intervention. intervention. Uh, uh, Absolutely. You know, talking about polarity um, therapy, I wonder if it's not similar to what, uh, I don't know if it was... uh, was it Deepak Chopra? So my husband and I went to this course. It was many, many, many years ago. Sue, we were probably in the same room. Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and we were given this, The whoever was running it had these divining sticks, you know, as I don't know if you've ever looked for borehole water. Right. They walk with these divining sticks, which are held loosely in a, in a, a handle so they're floating loosely and eventually when you come to water they cross over each other well he was doing this energy test on us in the audience and he said I, th- I think he must have realized that my husband was a bit skeptical of the whole thing because out of the whole audience he asked him to please step forward which he did do and he said right um, I want to just show you what's happening with the energy field and as he went closer to my husband, the energy, the, the, the divining sticks went, whoops, closed off across him. In other words, saying to this man, get out of my space, you oh, know, really, really, very quickly. Anyway, then he said to him, I'd like you to think of something that relaxes you, whether it's outside the sea, whatever it is, think of something really beautiful that you open up your soul to. And all of a sudden, these, he did the same, walked towards him, and these divining sticks were just opening further and further and further, leaving this wonderful space of healing between, uh, you know, that came into him. And, uh, you know, we, we actually, he then, my husband <laughs> then decided he was going to do his own testing. And every time our, our friends or children, friends came, we tested them all, even on little children. It yes. was absolutely fascinating. And I really need to ask you, did your husband share with you what he imagined in order to create that space? Uh, he imagined, he, he adores gardening, so he imagined the the garden and the, the smell of grass being cut and the beauty of flowers and that's what he had opened himself to but we t- tested it on little children as young as five and on their thoughts and we said you know think of something really sad and you'd see that they were just the divining sticks would just close in on them think of something that makes you happy and they were open to the world oh, that's too wonderful. Oh, beautiful so you know you and I were probably in that same one but Michelangelo said to touch can be to give life. That's so beautiful. It yes, is so yes, true, isn't it? Yes. But of course he embodies that in his Sistine Chapel where he shows God touching. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <these people. laughs> now, you told me a story about Cape Town, Constantia. Yes. Take us back to that. Well, when I decided to do the course, Polarity Therapy, as I said, um, group um, energy energy is, is very, very powerful. And we were in Constantia on the mountainside, and, and it was just quite wonderful. There was a young woman there who told me this story. She said that she had got married, and she just somehow could not engage 
in what should have been a normal activity, sexual activity with her husband. It was completely impossible. Her brother, who was a doctor, said to her that this is a manifestation of somebody who must have been raped. And she said, it's not possible. I've never been raped. Anyway, she agreed to go into some hypnotherapy, which duly came about. And it was revealed that at the age of two, she had been molested by an mm. uncle who had invaded her in her mouth with his penis. And mm. this had, well, it had almost destroyed her for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. She didn't share the story in the group she had just told me, but with hands-on, with a group doing some polarity healing, she really went a long way with releasing her body tensions. Unfortunately, I did lose contact with her, but I really trust that she went on to have a full and the kind of decent life she should have had. Thanks. Thank you, Craig. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on Chai FM 101.9. My guest is Annette Berger. If you'd like to send us a message, please do so on SMS 34519 or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. That um, short YouTube, Annette, was by a Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Uh, and I thought he actually incorporated quite a lot into that, didn't he? Wonderful. It was beautiful, really, and very meaningful. Very meaningful. Mm -hmm. And I think we under, um, uh, the power of touch is so underrated. Underestimated, mm. yes, absolutely. And it's also, it's the power of touch is not just the physical touch. We can be touched spiritually, emotionally. T tell us a bit about a few examples that you have. Well, I'd like to tell you a story about a young girl. I'd like to also talk about craniosacral therapy, but let me first mm -hmm. start with a story about a young girl who was adopted, and she'd had a very, very nice upbringing. She was cared for, and uh, she was she had a very menial job, nothing terribly exciting. She was married and had children, but she was she always felt a little bit shall we say, misplaced. And she used to actually come to me for facials. And one day I said to her, you know, I think it might be an idea if we actually did some craniosacral therapy on you. I have a feeling that we could do something about integrating your body. And so I began giving her a treatment. And all of a sudden, I had the sensation that she was actually going to go into a rebirthing experience because she said to me, you know, Annette, I feel as if I'm in some sort of a tunnel, as if there's a kind of bluish-reddish tunnel. And I feel as if I'm experiencing some kind of a pressure. I said, please just relax. I think we are having a rebirthing. And sure enough, that's exactly what was happening. And it was the most wonderful experience for her because she suddenly was experiencing how her mother, who was 15 when she fell pregnant with her, was experiencing this awful tug of having to give up this child 
she wasn't just throwing her away willy-nilly, mm-hmm. but was holding on and struggling with having to surrender her, that she loved her, and was really in agony having to give her away. Mm-hmm. We went through this whole process, and when she came through it, she was a different person. Her face looked younger. She was relaxed. She gave up her job. She went on to do beauty therapy. <laughs> and funnily enough, I'd never thought of it before until I mentioned the story to Sue earlier. She went on to do caring and supporting of other people. Thank <laughs> you for that, Sue. And somehow she invested herself more fully in her husband, her marriage, her children. So that was one of the most beautiful experiences I've had. That must have been so moving. You know, I remember do, doing a, a, a laugh a laugh workshop. Oh, yes. I was at, were working at hospice at the time, and a few of us were invited to come to this this laugh, laughter workshop. Well, the laughter workshop turned into a tearful workshop because we, we had to uh, simulate laughter. Mm. But the laughter, well, when we were watching each other laughing, we all began to laugh then. But it all turned into tears too. So, you know, you said a bit earlier about this energy that you can get in a group, which is very, very powerful. It can release so many emotions. And there needs to be someone there who can hold it together because it can really spill over and leave people very vulnerable. Very so with your with your client there taking her through that birthing process, you were with her every step of the way and guiding not guiding her but actually just supporting her through it. That's very important, very mm. important. Otherwise people can feel very vulnerable, very scattered. Yes. Absolutely. absolutely. Yes. And you know, I was thinking about touch as well, that if you think of touch in uh, certain cultures uh, well, let's face it, the English are not great touchers, you know. Um, <laughs> they'll use words rather. But if you go to a Mediterranean country, they're very, very touchy and it can be quite uh, intrusive at times. I had that experience just lately in, in Israel with um, people <laughs> who insisted on hugging me and kissing me on th- Three times on the one cheek and three times on the other, <laughs> even though I had a mask on. But, <laughs> but um, if you look at sports, for instance, I do think that it helps the, the teams when they touch each other. You see them suddenly, they shoot a goal or, or, or a hoop or whatever, and they're hugging each other, they're jumping onto each other, patting each other on the back. What do you think about that sort of touch? I think it's wonderful. I think it's very supportive. I think really that we we tend to be very isolated, don't we? We mm. tend to be very insular. And um, even when I do a body massage, I, I, I include massaging the hands, holding the hands. Even when I do a facial, I do that. Because when was the last time anybody held your hand, mm. stroked your hand, and touching hands makes one feel a sense of belonging? We've lost that, and you make a very, very powerful point there, Sue. 
I feel that you've made a very strong and important point. Have you noticed that um, through COVID that there's a deprivation? People are feeling deprivation from the touch? Very, very Mm. isolated, totally isolated, yes. And I think it's been the elderly and the young. Well, I don't think it's even because of COVID. I think the elderly definitely have a sense of isolation because Mm. the elderly are very seldom hugged, touched, stroked, very much so. And I know that you also work for DL Link. Yes, that's one of my pet And you, how many years have you been there? This is, I have been there for seven years, yes. And so you go and you work with the people who are coming. Are there people who are on treatment for cancer or people some who are? Some on, some, mm-hmm. thank God, are in remission, yes. And what do you do with them? I offer reflexology, Reiki, massage, craniosacral therapy. And what is the response? They find it wonderful, very mm-hmm. beneficial, very healing. You know, particularly, I think if you've been in treatment, the only kind of treatment you get is poking, and that's about all, very little touching. And I think they find it very, very healing, very integrating. I'm sure it must be because it can be such a disrupting treatment and leave yeah, you feeling yeah. so ill, nauseous, and everyone, every all the symptoms so often. So I should imagine that touch, that human caring touch must be so important. And that's why it's so, so, so important to me that I should be able to do it. Mm. It's it's very valuable to me. I I set great store by it. I do. And Annette, tell me about the facials you give because those sound really very fascinating. Well, interestingly enough, I've been doing facials for quite a long time. Um, well, the Japanese facials? The or? Japanese facial, for, interestingly enough, at the end of our training in, cra- cra- in cra- Say cranial sacral <laughs> therapy, sorry, I'm losing my mind, um, we were offered to do a course in Japanese facial therapy. And it's a very, very deep, uh, um, deep tissue therapy. And it, it really is very, very powerful, very deep, very relaxing, and very rejuvenating. So is it the entire head or just the face? It's the head, but I, the, the, the face, but I always, always treat the head when I do mm. a treatment, mm. always. Do you know that there's, there were um, the tests done on orphanages, I'm so, sure you've heard about them, and I've, I've actually mentioned them before, that uh, in, in China there was an orphanage where the children were fa- failing to thrive. They were little, they were babies still. And they wanted to know why only one lot of the children, were, were fa- there was failure to thrive in them, and the others were, were thriving, and, and they, they, they were healthy. And then they, did a, they actually started noticing what was happening. The, the children who were closest to the door were the ones who were getting the most touch, the most uh, attention from the nurses as, or the carers as they came on duty. By the time they got down to half the ward, they were tired already. They were, they were tired of lifting children up and playing and what have you. So they just did the necessary, changed nappies, changed whatever had to be changed. And those children failed to thrive. Oh, the moment they brought extra carers in to come and play with them and hold them and just give them that human touch, they began to thrive. Oh, that is just such a marvelous story mm. and, and such proof of how important touch is. Well, even if you look at animals, 
and how important it is. We had a dog called Bugsy, a most divine dog, and he, his back legs gave in. And he sort of had a stroke, and he was admitted to the hospital, and they didn't give him much hope of, of, of actually getting any better. And a friend of mine who is a healer, Robin, she um, said she'd go and work with the dog the hospital. The vet at the veterinary hospital. She went every single day. She massaged Bugsy and spoke to him, and sure enough, Bugsy lived happily for many years after oh, what that. What a beautiful <laughs> story! I love that. So it certainly it works on animals and humans. Oh, well, there's no question and about plants. that. And plants. What do you think about plants? Oh, and I touch? do. Whenever I plant in the garden, I do Reiki on them immediately. Do you? Really? Oh, I do. Absolutely. T- tell me how you do Reiki. Well, Reiki is an energy treatment. You call on universal life force. Now, some people sort of (laughs) open their eyes in terror because they think it's some kind of mysterious religion, Mm. (laughs) but it really isn't. You're simply calling on universal life force. You use a set of symbols. The story goes that um, a Japanese professor at the turn of the last century He was a professor of theology, Christian theology, was asked by his pupils whether he believed in hands-on healing. He said he did. And they asked why nobody did it anymore. This was a question he couldn't really answer. So he decided to go to Chicago and look at the treaties and tracts about Christian healing, about Christ, etc. He actually didn't find any answers. He went back to Japan, to Tokyo, and he looked in the Sanskrit healings, couldn't find any answers. So this piqued his interest, and he decided to go on a sort of Gethsemane fast. He went up, I can't quite remember if it was Mount Fuji, but he went up a mountain, and he fasted for several days. To his chagrin, he didn't find any answers, and he thought, well, better go down. And the very night he decided to descend the mountain, suddenly emblazoned before him was a set of gold characters. And as we know, the Japanese characters are emblematic of something. The symbols mean something. And he was given a set. The one symbol represented a power symbol. The second was mind, body, and spirit. The third represented Akashic Records. Now, Akashic Records are the records of a person's past, present, and future. And then a symbol was given that was to be used for the initiation of a master. He was now very well pleased. He went down the mountain, and as he went down the mountain, he wrenched his ankle very badly, and he thought, well, this is a sign that I have to see if this works. And he used the symbols on his ankle, and indeed, he was healed. He got down the mountainside and arrived at an inn, and there was the young girl, the innkeeper's daughter, who had a terrible, raging toothache. He applied the healing symbols, and they worked. And so he was well satisfied with what he had achieved and went on his way. He decided that he was going to use these symbols on all and sundry and spread this wonderful healing technique. Got beggars off the road, gave these symbols, told them you no longer need to be a beggar. You can now go on your way and earn your living. 
to his great sadness, um, he found that people didn't really appreciate it, and he learned that you can't just dispense all this wonderful wisdom. You have to actually earn it. And we're going to get back to that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and my guest today is Annette Berger, and we're talking about the body remembering. Now, she was telling me the story about the Reiki master. Go on with that, about how he started Reiki. And so he realized that people had in some way, I beg your pardon, to pay, there had to be an interchange of energy of some small payment for people to appreciate Otherwise, it was meaningless. So he was the first Reiki master. The second Reiki master, interestingly enough, was an admiral in the Japanese Hmm. Navy. And he had decided that he was no longer going to be a warmonger. And he was initiated as the second master. As I said, there is a special symbol that you use to initiate a master. And at this juncture, I just need to say that you don't teach Reiki, you initiate it. And you're not meant to write down the symbols. It's meant to be transmitted through initiation. Unfortunately, today, people don't really respect anything. And there are books printed with the Reiki symbols. However, they are inert unless you are initiated. So people Mm. can buy a book, use the symbols, but they are useless unless there is initiation. This gentleman decided when he was called to go back to war, he decided he was not going to do this. And people of very, very high spiritual uh, quality can actually commit suicide simply by deciding that they're going to do so. That is well known amongst the uh, aboriginally aboriginal Indians as well. And he decided that on Tuesday at a particular time, he was going to die, and he did. Hmm. And interestingly enough, at a time in Japan when women weren't highly regarded, he actually passed the master's degree on to a Japanese woman by the name of Mrs. Tanaka. And she then went on to spread Reiki, which was really quite a high Mm. honor for her. And she also very quickly learned that just to spread it from the bottom of your heart didn't work. When you do that to people, they just don't appreciate it. And you have to have an exchange of energy. So when you want to do a Reiki treatment, you put Reiki symbols into your hands and down your body. You put those symbols into the room to create a sacred space And then you put the symbols into the person who's lying down, into the chakras. I'm sure most people today Mm. know what chakras are. They're simply energy spots down the body. And you proceed by holding the head for a time, and then you move down the body. Very often, when I say you're not permitted to move off a point, you simply are not permitted to, because if there is a blockage in the body, Your hands just have to stay there. And you feel it through your hands. You feel it through your hands. So the symbols are actually uh, uh, in your mind. They're not actual physical symbols that you're putting down. No. Mm -hmm. You just draw them into the air, draw them above the person's uh, chakras, draw them down your chakras. And they cause an empowerment for the transference of energy. 
And then if you feel this heat or drawing of energy, you stay in this spot and healing takes place in that spot. There can be release of physical blockages. Very often there are huge movements of emotional blockages as well. And it's deeply, deeply relaxing. People come off the bed feeling completely transposed. Mm. And you're a Reiki master, aren't yes, you? Yes, I am. I have mm. been initiated. And a Reiki master simply means that you can initiate other people. Oh, okay. So was it life, a life-changing experience for you personally when you did Reiki? Yes, it really was. It was. It, it just seemed to give me a lightness. What made you decide to actually do it when you already had done so much else? Uh, I suppose I have an unending curiosity. I always want to know more, learn more, do more. So from the tomb to the womb can wait. Absolutely. <laughs> the womb to the tomb, we can switch it around. We can indeed. You know, I got a message because uh, the advert goes out on a few um, media platforms that were of my program, and it came from a, a woman called Ariel and Ariella, and she's a teacher. And she said, do we know anything about touching of children? That in America, apparently, they were, I suppose, it was the woke brigade trying to bring in this, that you're not allowed to touch children. And she was saying that in that case, you deprive the children of a certain amount of recognition because she said, well, touch, certainly certain touches are not allowed. But she found that just by patting children on the back or on the head as she went past, they, if they were doing, and she could see they were anxious because they were doing a test. She said immediately she noticed the difference. It was almost like a, a breath of, of air came into them and it went through into their hands and onto the paper. Oh, that's so beautiful, mm. isn't it? Mm. Well, you know, it's so interesting. I know that psychologists are not permitted to touch in this country. However, one of my grandchildren in America is studying psychology. She's just about finished. And she told me that she's going to be doing Reiki because and because one of her colleagues is a Reiki master and is doing Reiki on patients because you're allowed to do it in America. And I was really, I encouraged her to do it because I think it's marvelous to be able to have that. To have the two, yes. I mean, how amazing. Absolutely. And because in Reiki you're not actually touching, mm. you're a little above the body. Well, you know, after getting this message from Ariella, I thought I'd, I'd look up a bit about touching children, and I, I saw that what was what something that was written was about a librarian, and she noticed that it was she was running a, a, a children's section in the library, a very big library in America, and she said she noticed that if the child gave their ha you know the, the book in. And she had to give them the bit of paper, uh, take the paper out of the book. If in doing that she patted their hand, they were more likely to come back and oh, get really? another book <laughs> and also to, to actually want to come and sit in the library and read. Isn't that hmm. wonderful? Shows you how touch can transform uh, she said, and she was, this particular library was in quite a poor area. Of, of a city. And she said where, where books were not cherished, uh, learning was not really cherished, you know, but uh, you were expected to go out and get a job to help the family pretty early. Yes. And she said a lot of the children coming in 
um, were doing it whenever they could just to learn something for themselves. And uh, so she said sometimes she would get out uh, uh, an encyclopedia and go through it with them. And as she did so, she would just tap their hand or or, or just tap their head a little bit. Isn't that lovely? Oh, that is the most beautiful story. I mm. love it. But it just reiterates how desperately important it is and how desperately in need we are of being touched. Mm. You know, I often look around and think, who touches anybody? Do you ever get touched? Some people live alone and never, never, never get touched. Absolutely. It's terribly sad. And I think COVID actually highlighted that. And exacerbated Mm. it, yes. Definitely, very definitely. Now, Annette, what are your plans for your future with with all that you do? Your aromatherapy, we're getting back to that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program. My guest today is Annette Berger. And we've been talking about the different modalities of touch therapy that she does, and it's been very interesting. Our time is going very quickly. Uh, one another message that did come through to me was from a um, a, fa- a stepfather who said that he is terrified to touch his little um, uh, stepchild, who's four. Because of there's so much made of of um, abuse, sexual abuse, and and you know he said he doesn't he actually stops himself from from loving this child. He loves her spiritually, emotionally, but not physically. I feel very very sorry for him because I know that there is so much bad press about mm. that. But I'm sure that if it's, if it's, it's really, I'm hardly in a position to offer advice, but I think if his intention is, is honest and open, he's depriving the child of a lovely, warm and loving relationship. And mm-hmm. I don't think he should, perhaps he should talk about it to his, his, his wife and they should be open and honest about it and share that he loves the child and wants to show her and also tell the Affection. child about good t- touch exactly. and bad touch, which I think the children are being taught now. Yes. But I think it can be quite frightening for some yes, children too. I think so. So, Annette, what do you plan? What, what are, is, are your plans for your future? Well, I want to keep on keeping on. <laughs> <laughs> I would, it terrifies me to think that I would ever have to stop. I really would like to always be able to work and and do things and I always tell my children just see to it on my tombstone or a few words dot 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 to make a difference (laughs) (laughs) I like that (laughs) because you know if I can't make a difference if I can't make it better then what am I here for Mm. So what does it do to you spiritually then by giving out this energy? How are you getting, how are you filling your own bucket or your own jug? Sounds better. Well, having, having had difficulties in my childhood and having worked very, very hard to free myself from so many constraints, perhaps it's a vicarious thing that when I see the suffering that people have, when I put my hands on somebody 
and I feel the blockages in their body and I know that they're loosening because when you do craniosacral therapy and you feel that reestablishment of the free flow of that cranial fluid when the blockages of the body are reestablished, then perhaps it helps me feel better because I know what it feels like to be unbetter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, I, I sort of almost regard myself as... as as the wounded healer, as Chiron. I was just going to say, a uh, wounded healer. Thank you, Craig. We're going to have to start wrapping up. But as Annette said with the wounded healer, I think so many of us who do go into these fields are wounded Absolutely. somehow, mm-hmm. as many people are. Many people. But if we can mm-hmm. actually take our own energy, mm-hmm. heal ourselves, and help others heal then there is a place for us in this world. And uh, on our tombstone, they can put, we lived. Absolutely. Annette, thank you so much for being on my program. I've so enjoyed having you here. We are being told to wrap up. There is a song that uh, they are going to end with. Craig, just leave. I'm with Craig, but sitting next to him, thank goodness. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Vusi and Makundi, for keeping us on air. We're going to be listening to Diana Ross, Reach Out and Touch, Somebody's Hand. It will not come through on the podcast, so download it yourselves. It will be coming through now. I, 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 I need to just give your phone number out. Can I just quote a few lines? Yeah. This sort of sums up healing, I think. It's it's a few lines from a poem by Rilke, the South American poet. It's, My boat struck something deep. Waves crashed. Sounds. Silence. Nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. Or perhaps... Everything has happened, and I go on with my new life. Love it. We're ending on that. Thank you, Annette.